There we are, friends. Glad that you're with us. Thank you for those of you who are with us online. And today we start something new, something fresh. Won't be prolonged, but I'm really excited to bring it to you. But let's just begin because the foundation of it is going to start with this scripture right here. From John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We read this. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should, eat, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things, that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have, given them, I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I give them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. 
And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. May God bless the reading of his word to our spirits today. The scripture reading that we shared this morning and almost forgot to share this morning uh, is going to be the foundational uh, starting point for a new series, which I'm saying will last for a short season. Once again, just like that uh, seeking God, healing, and community and how that got delayed, I had two other things I thought were going to be on right now and just sensing the Lord saying, nope, those can wait. I have something else for you to share. And it's new se- this series that I have simply titled Looking Ahead because there is something in front of us. And I am asking... And I, I, I'm, this, is, this is frightening to me. You know, I've never, I have never friended anybody on Facebook. Do you know why? Because I'm always afraid they would just say, hello. And I don't know how to deal with the rejection. All right. So it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't friend people because, yeah. Okay, so the reason I say that is, I feel that way about what I'm about to say. It's like, ah, oh, please don't reject me. Okay. April 2nd, the Lord has use this fellowship to have something developing called One Body, One Blood. And I I realized in my thinking, because I was afraid to get it out there in front of you somewhat, like, well, you might all reject it, uh, that I've been leery to speak about. And I realize now, it's like, no, we need to be prepared as a congregation for April 2nd, One Body, One Blood. And so I'm asking for your permission, asking that you will go with me on a on this journey for a season uh, because uh, I think God is doing something good. And I can't tell you everything all the time. It's just not time for that. But here's my thought. If God rooted this new ministry here, and he did, when I was alone here praying um, a few days ago in anticipation of a very significant meeting we had, I was very much aware that God used that table And that camera has critical aspects to launch a ministry that's going to go around the world. Crazy, huh? But it is rooted here, and we do have a part in it. And I, and and rather than downplaying that, because you know some people go, "Oh, he's off on some crazy tangent again." I'm asking you to join me in the journey. I really am, and uh, and and hope you'll be patient with us. Uh, What I want to do between now and then of that Lord's Table service that will we're inviting people from all over the world to join us via the internet. What I, want, what I want to do is emphasize scriptures during this series that are relative to the Last Supper and probably some that will be relative to Easter week, Holy Week as we get there. But all to get our thinking moving in that direction. And I, I sense the Lord saying, I need to start with John chapters 13 to 17. Five chapters there that all relate to the night in which Christ uh, was with his disciples and uh, ultimately led to the cross. And uh, the other thing about John that I think is significant and why I want to take these passages is there's content in John that is unique to John. Anybody who goes to Bible school, when they start studying the Gospels, one of the first things they will learn is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar in very many ways. You get to John, and he approaches 
the writing of his gospel differently. And in this particular issue, the question of the Lord's table, he gives us information that the others don't give us, and he gives us a far greater volume of information about what was taking place on that night. So it's unique. So I thought, well, that, that should be a good place to start, to keep this in front of us. But the crazy thing I'm going to do is that we're going to ultimately cover John 13 to 17, but I want to start with John 17. And there's a reason for that. John 17 is such a unique uh, chapter in our Bibles. John 17 is the entire, as we read it, it's, it's a prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have a few other prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're very short. This is a fully developed prayer that he offers in the presence of his disciples. And it's the only one like it. And the other, the other gospel writers don't include it. And that's what sets this apart. You know, we have what we call our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We all know that. And we call that the Lord's Prayer. Actually, this is the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> this is the one the Lord prayed. That is the Lord's instruction on prayer because that came out of a request, teach us to pray. And then he answered. And that's what we now call the Lord's Prayer. So maybe this we simply can call because we're not going to rename this and change that whole thing that's been around for centuries. Maybe we just call this the Lord's praying. And that's what we're going to look at for the beginning of this study and, and uh, it, pull things out of it. Now, I want to tell you something that I learned recently. What I learned recently is that a new vantage point can stir a new perspective. And I'm seeing it happen uh, with me. Uh, but, but here's a great illustration of it. Uh, maybe, did I mention this to you? I can't remember. I talked to so many people. I can't remember where I said what to who. But anyways, how many of you by now, because I know I've mentioned her, how many of you by now are familiar with Molly A and her cooking show? Anyone? Okay, Judy, I was hoping at least, I thought if anybody will put their hand up with me, it'll be Judy. Okay, Molly A, her cooking show. All right, so this woman has a cooking show called Girl Meets Farm. And she describes her cooking as a, a blend of her Korean Jewish roots as well as she married a guy from East Grand Forks. And uh, so his Scandinavian roots that are all in this, okay? I encourage you to look it up, all right? Watch this. Now, is it becoming familiar to some of you? All of a sudden, you feel, go, oh, wait, I know this? No. Okay, Lori came across it because she noticed that on the, on the opening to it, there's this reference to the North Dakota, uh, Minnesota border. So she watched. She's like, look at this. And then when they show an aerial view of the house, we're like, oh, we know that house. We've seen that. That is absolutely familiar to us. Well, if you go to Grand Forks via Highway 220, you come in East Grand Forks down 220, you will pass this house. And if you watch the show, if you've done that for years, you don't even, you'll know immediately, I know that house. You'll do the same thing. All right, so Malier. Well, at the, beginning of, uh, at the beginning of the year, the end of last year, you know, we're, we're always keeping an eye as we drive down. Always watching to see, is she out there? Is her husband out there? Is there little baby Bernie out there? Got this? We always look. And so a couple weeks ago, we're like, yeah, but eh, nothing, nothing major to see. We went down. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. That there was something major to see. I'm just confusing because we went yesterday. Yesterday was nothing major to see. Last night, I have just, the synapses aren't all connecting today, Alice. You got anything for me here? 
So we drive by their house. We always turn and look, see, here comes a vehicle pulling out. And I said to Lori, I think that was her husband driving. It's all I could see, a glimpse. I think that's her husband. Ooh, this could be fun. There's a car right behind us. They pull out. They're following us. And so we're watching in the mirrors, you know, could that be them? Could that be them? And this other car made a turn, and now we got a straight shot to look at them. I'm telling Lori, I said, she's got sunglasses on, but I'm pretty sure that's her in the passenger seat, right? So we're like, oh, this is so much fun. Okay. So we get to the light, and what we did in order to, you know, kind of confirm things or not, is I made sure I stopped. They were moving into the left lane to stop the light right by McDonald's. You all know where this is at. Uh, they, uh, I stayed back a little bit in my lane, let them pull up, park, or stop for the light in front of me, and then, ever so carefully, <laughs> I crept up to where I'm still behind them, but we can see at an angle. And there was no question this was Molly A. on her phone. It was exciting, all right? It was exciting. But, you know, here's what happened. We went from interested wonderment, could it be, don't know for sure, not sure, to confirmed excitement once we got that vantage point in order and we knew exactly what was going on. That was fun. But that's how we function. When I come to this passage, the same thing has happened. I always had a particular vantage point from which I read this passage. And I have referenced it to you tens upon tens upon tens of times. No question about it. Because I find it such a fascinating passage. And so I tend to come back to it. And my perspective on this passage was always unity, sanctity, and visibility. Because they're all there. And we will touch on all of them. And when I... Since I think I'm going to start with John 17. That's what I thought I'd be talking about. Until I plowed into this with a new vantage point. Now, my vantage point is this. Preparing for April 2nd. That's the new vantage point. What do I need to see here that might help us best prepare for April 2nd? And here's what I saw. How I'd missed it before, I don't know. I do know. Because we tend to go back to that which intrigues us and interests us and just moves us. But for the first time as I came to this, I realized I need to start this entire series in John, with John 17 and focus on, first of all, glory. Glory. That caught me by surprise because I'd never seen it in this way before. Jesus begins by saying, Father, your house is, uh, your, the hour has come, glorify your son. Well, by the time we're done, you'll see that isn't the only time that he references that. But when we're talking about glorifying something, we're talking about, you know, praising it, making it great, uh, speaking words of glory, attributing high praise to it. These are lexicon definitions. Describing something as wonderful, as of exceptional value. Lori is actually going to, going to be talking about glory with Awana kids on Wednesday. And so we were both preparing together, and, and she was showing me her material. And uh, she started to talk about glory, and, and, and her the word that she had, I thought, was great, is greatness. All right, greatness. And all right, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about. But here's what struck me as weird, because... 
When I think, because he's going to death, he's on his way to the cross. He will no longer be, you know, in that breathing body in 24 hours. Done. And he's talking about glory. I find when confronted with death, I tend to think in terms of more sadness. I had it this week layered upon layer. I have a friend by the name, and some of you will recognize the name, Larry knows, he, I think he's had contact with him, a friend by the name of Bill Gast, who 27 years ago now put us, myself, in touch with this church. And that's how we wound up here. Bill Gast was a good friend of mine from high school. And um, we began growing in the Lord together and sensing a call to ministry together and went to junior college together and the University of Illinois together. And... <laughs> Dallas Seminary together. So this is a good friend from way back. So I had to call him. I had some stuff I need to check up on him. And uh, so I'm calling Bill. We're getting caught up. And he says, uh, but there's one thing i got to tell you. We had a little bit of sadness in our family. And it had been the night before that his sister, Mary, who Lori and I both know well, sister Mary's grandson, 18 months old, the only grandchild she has, was at a daycare and eating mango and choked on it. And when I first spoke to Bill, this child was in the, uh, in the hospital, hooked up to machines, and they estimate 7 to 12 minutes without oxygen, and things were not looking good. And the next day, got a text message that said, Levi passed last night. They had to turn the machines off. I wasn't thinking glorious. I was sad to hear that. And then I took, began my news hiatus, my news... Um, fast, this last Monday morning, I just sensed the Lord saying, shut it all off now. You're not to be engaged in the news anymore. I kept praying for our nation. But then the news came that, and I haven't looked at details. I don't know. Four people, apparently five maybe, in this big rally that was going to be happening, lost their lives. And it was a layer of sadness that just came on top of the other layer of sadness. And yesterday, this did happen yesterday, not two weeks ago. Yesterday, as Lori and I were uh, traveling to Grand Forks again and looking for Mollier's house and seeing how the new addition is coming along, we got into the Grand Forks side, path, well, got over the bridge by Cabela's, and uh, here there's all sorts of lights up ahead, and we could see they're diverting traffic. We are not going to get through there. So we went around to the right, and Lori looked down, and I never saw any of this. Um, but clearly there was an accident, and she said they have a tarp over one of the vehicles. So she began looking. She began looking on the Internet as we had had lunch together and, and pretty soon found that, yeah. Um, bottom line on that story was... Uh, Two people in that particular vehicle were killed, as well as multiple injuries. Um, and it happened just before we got there. And when we were leaving town, you know, we came over that hill in the same direction the van had been traveling when it had got, must have been very hit very hard on the uh, front end. It was a horrible accident. And uh, the sadness to think that those people were just coming over this hill just a couple hours ago, just enjoying life. They got up, they got a Saturday to themselves. Life is going to be good. Life ended. 
They have no clue. Another layer of sadness. And that's why it strikes me, as the Lord Jesus Christ knows, He is about to die an excruciating death. That's why it strikes me is that with each one of these reports, all I felt was sadness over what had happened. And Jesus speaks about glory. Helps me understand the, the difference between how He views death and how I might tend to view death. Well, let's dig into this passage and see why. First of all, I want us to note, if you will, that Christ awaited a reunion of glory. We've already noted, glorify your son in verse 1, that your son also may glorify you. But if we drop down to verse 4, we read, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's anticipating a reunion of glory. He knew this was going to happen. He, of course, knew where he had come from. No, it wasn't. He didn't need to learn the theology that, that he existed before the foundation of the earth. He was the creator of the earth. So he didn't need to learn that theology. And he's saying, like, okay, I'm ready to enter back where I came from, that we might share in this glory together again. And it strengthened him. That's why it matters that anticipation of glory that he awaited strengthened him through the process of crucifixion so that he could face it. So that when he would be now beginning to agonize in prayer over it, Lord, do I, do I pray, let this cup pass from me? No, he would not. He did not. So it's like, no, I've got to go through it. I've got to go through it, Lord. So uh, Hebrews 12 gives us information on that. You know, Hebrews gives us the, the examples of people who have walked by faith through difficult times before and encourages us that we, setting aside the sin that so easily besets us, run with endurance the race before us. Now here, just, just hear these words. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before them, he knew he awaited glory. And so that enabled him to move through and beyond the cross. So that's the first thing we need to know. Christ awaited a reunion of glory. Second thing that we see in this prayer is Christ affirmed a reality of glory. When we move to verse 9 in John chapter 17, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. That means those who are right around him and, and maybe the disciples who are followers of him, but they're not in that room because that room was specifically for that small group of men. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This work which he was about to accomplish at the cross, this substitutionary atonement where he would hang there and die there and bleed there and be broken there for our sins was going to provide 
We glory for him as his redemptive work now becomes understood and those who will receive it become part of it. And it brings glory. It brings amazement as to who he is, wondrousness, greatness as to who he is. So he, refer, he affirmed a reality of glory as it would relate to those disciples. And then as well, as he continued on, and he, he began to pray for us. I do not pray for these alone, verse 20. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So now he's got us in mind. And I've pointed that out to you countless times. And notice this. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. We actually will be sharing in his glory. We will not only see it, but it will fall down upon us. It will in some fashion engulf us. We'll be part of that glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Paul wrote, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This work, this redemptive work that God began or, or initiated, if you will, when Christ that night had that last supper and was going to die the next day, that work was going to be bring glory to him and it was going to spread out on those who would receive him and we are going to be transformed by that glory. Now, I want to make one thing absolutely clear. This glory does not emanate from us. It pours out onto us. It's not as if we are ever, 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 friends, got this? Let's make this clear. And anything that we say, hey, we are never going to come to a place in our salvation where we say, look at me. Look what I did. I'm pretty cool. We will only offer glory back to Jesus Christ, back to the Father with whom he is one, because any glory that, that we experience emanated from him. That's why Paul says, God forbid that I should glory this is the Apostle Paul, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. The only one who can glory is Jesus Christ. And he shares it with us, not so that we glory in ourselves, but so that but we exalt him because we are under this umbrella of his glory. How magnificent is that? That reality of glory. And so we are going to be involved in that. He's sharing it with us. And then, third thing, and this is what actually struck me most as I was looking at this, Christ anticipated a revelation of glory. In verse 24, after he's prayed for us, uh, John 17, verse 24, he says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me. Before the foundation of the world, two things that I want us to note there. First off, this, within this prayer, there's a couple more verses of the prayer, but he doesn't ask for anything more. This last request, this desire, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That's the final request in the prayer. The first request in the prayer was what? Glorify your son. This prayer begins 
and ends with this concept of glory. And that's what, whoa, hit me because of my focus in some other areas. I didn't realize that's the groundwork to what he's thinking in, uh, in anticipation of his death. That's number one. Number two, Christ wants us to see who he really is. Who he really is. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He wants us to see the magnificence of his being, which we cannot now in our finite minds even begin to get a hint to comprehend what it is that we are going to see when we are in his presence. And I just, I was struck when I read, read that, that they may behold my glory. It's like he's going, he, he, Lord, I want them to see this. Or he might say to us, hey, I have something for you. Would you take a look at this? We're constantly asking people to look at stuff, aren't we? All the time. All the time. How do I know that? Okay. Those of you on your phones, young people, you're constantly sending stuff out. Hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Boy, you should have seen what my wife showed me. Wow. Did any of you see that one? People said 1.2 million views. And it's only been out a couple days. You know what I'm talking about? The ice fisherman? Yeah. Oh, man, it's one car after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And then Lori said as she went further, now the ice houses started falling in too. But it was crazy. So it was like, whoa, you got to look at this. you got to see this. I'm driving, dear. No, but you got to look at this now. This is nuts. But we do that, right? And sometimes it's something that is just kind of fun. Sometimes it's something that's exciting. I, and sometimes it's something, and here's what I want to make clear. Sometimes it's something out of neediness. I recall a time a, a girl comes up to me at the front of the bus while we're waiting to, to pull out. And she comes up alongside of me and turns and faces me and says, I found this pine cone in my pocket. What in the world? Why do I care about a pine cone? It wasn't about a pine cone. Right? It wasn't about, I want to show you a pine cone, because nothing real exciting about a pine cone. It was very obvious. Very obvious. It was, will you look at me for a minute? Will you hear me for a minute? Will you see me for a minute? Will you talk to me for a minute? Help me understand that I'm okay. So we talked about her pine cone, and then she went back. Sometimes... We want to show people something out of our neediness, and that's why I want to make it clear. Christ isn't wanting us to see his glory out of his neediness. He needs nothing from us. Nothing. I think it's out of his joy, first of all. Just there's a joy that's going to be involved here. Like, man, we love to share things that give us joy, but it is also not only out of his joy, it is for our joy that we might enter into that and see and go, wow, that is absolutely incredible. See, friends, what he does for us will be secondary to what he reveals 
to us at this time. We're going to have a new vantage point of being able to look at, at who He is. Because when we are there with Him and we have non-sin-laden, darkened minds, we're going to have a new way to look at who Jesus Christ is, to perceive Him as He is. And that's going to result in new perspectives and new excitement. And as I said about Molly because that was the point of that. We're going to move from interested wonderment, like, oh, won't, won't heaven be great? It's going to be nice, isn't it? That, that's a cool thing to think about. We're going to move from interested wonderment to confirmed excitement that we can never get enough of understanding the glory that Jesus shares with his Father that he lets emanate out and pour upon us. We will never find that boring. Now, here's a couple thoughts I'd like to ask us to think about. Is it possible, is it possible that our view of heaven is just a little bit self-centered? We think of heaven in terms of well, what'll be good for me, right? And we make it about, we make the story, it's about me. And there's one song that we, we sing, and I don't know if we ever sing it here. It's not, I understand artistic expression, and I don't get bent out of shape on stuff, but I always find myself, when I hear this on the radio, just a little bit like something about that lyric, I don't know what to do with. Because it's something to the effect of, you didn't want heaven without me. So you brought heaven down. Um, I don't think it's about me. See, that makes it about me. That makes this whole redemptive thing, it's about me. I much prefer to think in terms of the song that was popular a number of years ago. I think Joey actually sang it here. Uh, I can only imagine where the singer proclaims, surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Because I don't even understand yet the glory that I'm going to experience then that will be revealed to me then and I have no clue as to how I will respond to that. It is going to be an amazing revelation to us, friends. And I think... Because we tend to think of these things in terms of us. We know we think, oh, heaven's going to be great. Why? Why? Because I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to feel pain. I'm not going to be grieving. My, my mansion that Jesus is preparing for me, my mansion, right? He's going to prepare a place for me. The roof isn't going to leak. My resources will always be sufficient. And maybe even my position will be a little better than some others who in this world, it's like, oh, they always seem to get all the breaks. But there, maybe I'll get some breaks. Maybe I'll be seen as better. Yeah, don't think we're not capable of thinking that because the disciples thought it. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we ain't any different than they are, friends. But I believe the transition that's going to take, the transformation is not going to be about, boy, my mansion is wonderful. I'm this, I'm that, I'm not crying. It's simply going to be, he is absolutely incredible. He is amazing. So let's wrap up with just a few final thoughts. The glory of the sun, which we will see, will be worth seeing. It's going to be an amazing thing. You know, 
Moses said to the Lord, let me behold your glory. God said, no man can see my glory and live. Not in our fallen state, we can't. So what did he do? He hit him in a rock, passed by him, and he got a glimpse of the fading glory, but could not, as it was moving away, could not see it face to face. The glory of the Lord, we just re read this every year at Christmas, right? But the glory of the Lord shone round about them, the shepherds. How amazing was that? What about Peter when he and two others with him, Peter, James, and John, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus. Two of the prophets with him. What was Peter's response? When they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, Peter said, it is good for us to be here. And he tried. He tried. So let's build some, let's build some tabernacles. And let's just stay in this moment. Let's just stay right here. He was drawn into it. Didn't want to leave. Didn't want to leave. It's going to be so worth to see the glory of God. And in Revelation 21, 23, we read this. The city has no need. This is the holy city of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. We're going to see that. How amazing is that going to be? Think of how often we go to things that we think will be glorious. We chase these things all the time. And we tell our friends about them, oh, how incredible it was, right? And I'm not, I'm not being critical of it. I'm just saying this is what we're wired for. But we just haven't seen anything yet. That's my point. For all these things that we chase and we think, wow, that's amazing. They're going to be pfft, compared to the glory that we see in Jesus Christ. I think about firework shows. I mean, I have waited for an hour at Disneyland. So I have a good position to see their firework show over the, over the water that they have. I'll wait there. I'll wait there because I know this is going to be a great show. And it is. <laughs> but it will pale. Not even close to the glory revealed in Jesus Christ. We go to concerts, right? We go to concerts and they're loud and they're brash and there's smoke and there's all this stuff. We come away and go, man, that was such a good time. <sighs> Nothing. Nothing to the glory that's going to be revealed in Jesus Christ. You know, people always gather for the rockets launching in Florida. Do you know that? They always do. The crowds come racing to see, get a good vantage point, to see a rocket go off. It's fascinating to see it. They come back and they come back and they come back. These things never get old. We always love doing these things. And then we go on to the next one. But you understand, friend, none of them will compare to the glory of Jesus Christ. I wish I could convince you of that. First of all, that his glory is worth anticipating. Secondly, the glory of the sun will be worth receiving. It'll be worth being there. And I mean it in this way, friends. One, we're going to see the joy set before Jesus as Hebrews 12. We've talked about that. But you know, Jesus also says, because we're here, we're trying to learn how to serve, right? As... as uh, as Nathan and his friend Eric were talking about, you know, how, how is God reorienting our service? And we're all trying to understand, where do I fit into kingdom service? And sometimes it gets discouraging. Sometimes we're not sure it's worth it. Sometimes we go, should I continue on? And I'd like to suggest it will be worth it. Jesus said, you'll receive a hundredfold for your service. And when, we're, when we understand that and see that and we see him in glory and hear his affirmation, be like, oh, this, the service was worth it. Because the difficulty of service just it goes away. Because look at what, look at what I have now. 
because of that, because of who he is. Look what I get to see now. And can I just remind you, Romans 8.18, Paul, as we move through some difficult seasons, Paul says, I'm sure that the, that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, we have a glorious end that God has promised. And it's worth continuing to live for the kingdom and make the sacrifices he's calling us to make. And um, lastly, just the glory of the Son will be worth understanding. We're going to move deeper into our understanding of who Jesus Christ is than we have, could begin to comprehend. John wrote this, John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten full of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's wonderful for whatever John understood and for whatever we can understand as we look at the Scriptures. But friends, when we see it in person, when it overtakes us, and it drops us to our knees, we're going to say that everything was worth it. Because our Savior is so incredible, so glorious, so wonderful, we could not even begin to think about it. Oh, my friends, will you please let that reality encourage you to continue to walk with Jesus Christ, continue to seek those places of service where He is calling you, Continue on in these things. I don't know how God is using each of you individually, but I know he desires each of you every day to be a presence for the kingdom. And may I encourage you, it will be worth it to be that presence. And one day, you're going to say, wow. Because, and, 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 and I, I want the young people to grasp this as much as anybody, because you have so many things that try and get your attention and constantly flashing in front of you to understand none of it, none of it will begin to compare to the glory of Jesus Christ. So keep him first in your thinking. Father, thank you for the privilege of having this time in your word, Lord. Thank you that you are good and gracious. Thank you, Lord, that that we anticipate a day of glory <laughs> when Christ being glorified, we see it. We know he's at the right hand of the Father right now. We know he is glorified, but we don't see it yet, Lord. And we thank you for the promise that one day we will see it. One day, if we know Christ, one day we will be present in that. One day it will emanate upon us. And it will consume us, Father. We look forward to that. May that give us the joy, the hope, the strength, the endurance to run the race that you've set before us each day, each day, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.